Today on Empowering Workplaces, we'll be talking about a prescription for your team to support everyone's health and well-being at work, including your own. Joining us today is Dr. Richard Safir, Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Well-Being at Johns Hopkins Medicine and author of A Cure for the Common Company, A Well-Being Prescription for a Happier, Healthier, and More Resilient Workforce. And who doesn't want that? Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. All right, Dr. Sophia Rich, um, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to um, focus on this topic. Yeah, thanks for asking me to join you on the Empowering Workplace podcast. It's a great title because my work at Johns Hopkins, sure, is about empowering not only our employees, but also our leaders to create a healthy workplace culture. And who doesn't want that? Um, Yeah, so I got a degree in nutrition before going to medical school and I became a family doctor. I thought I was going to be a family doctor for 30 years but realized uh, pretty quickly that I wanted to make a bigger impact. So I looked at the path towards helping a whole population through the workplace. I'm also a dad of three kids, uh, a husband, a dog owner, and um, I'm also the author of A Cure for the Common Company. Awesome. So um, as you will discover, we always like to start this podcast with uh, one or two or five data points uh, to really kind of center the conversation to kick us off. Um, And so, Sonia, I'll turn it over to you to start us off with that. Thank you so much. And I could not be happier to be discussing this topic because to me personally and professionally, it's one of the things that's just the most important right now. And um, when we got to meet and when I learned more about your area of focus, it, it was just so exciting for us to have you on. So like Maddie was saying, thank you so much for joining us. And the data point that you had shared really stopped me in my tracks. And I have so many reactions to it. But before I say anything, <laughs> I will share with our audience and Rich would, would love to know when you saw it, what it meant to you. And so this stat is that 69% of employees say their manager has a big impact on their mental health. I mean, just wow. Um, when you came across it, what what does that say to you? How do you interpret it? Um, please you know, take it away before <laughs> I start. <laughs> before yeah, I, get I mean, I, I didn't have a number in mind, but I was pretty sure based on not just anecdotal information, but even like a Gallup survey, this data, uh, they found, uh, I don't know if it was published five years ago or something to that effect, that the managers, one of the biggest, if not the biz- biggest reason why people look for a job elsewhere. So I knew the impact was going to be huge, but 69% is is pretty darn big. But you know what else is also uh, remarkable, Sonia, is that it's the same percentage of respondents who said their spouse has a big impact on their mental health. And so um, who would have thought that spouses and managers (laughs) had an equal influence on mental health? And it could be both for good, they can make us happy, relaxed, what have you, or they can make us stressed or other negative emotions. 
Well, that's where my head went with it, right? <laughs> Is it the stress part? Well, you... yeah, that's a natural I just, I mean, literally, place to go. Yeah, when you said that, I got goosebumps because... <sighs> As a, as a researcher, I just have so many questions and I think I might dedicate some of my research to it. Maybe I'll look and see if there's, if there's stats already available, but I'm thinking first from a manager standpoint, it is such a huge responsibility, how you show yes. up to your people. And we've been reading a lot about empathy and compassion. And I think some of these things recently, I was actually listening to a podcast between uh, Brene Brown, Adam Grant and Simon Sinek. And they said something like, you know, 10, maybe 15 years ago or so, none of them would have had jobs as organizational psychologists mm -hmm. and researchers of those kinds of topics. And I thought, you know, that that's probably right. And fortunately, fast forward to today, it's just got such huge importance. And one of the things that I always think about and in some ways like struggle with is that managers today can have such an incredible impact. Are organizations equipping them well enough to show up for their people the way they could be? Because it's, I mean, think about it. If you have a phenomenal manager to your points earlier, they can have such a profoundly positive impact on your life, yeah. but then the yep. opposite is true as well. We're playing in the same orchestra. So I have been in the employee health and well-being space for 25 years. And one thing that's been consistent is that there are not enough leaders and managers playing on the same team. Companies that do hire someone like myself to manage the employee health and well-being strategy, they often just leave it to that person or that team. And they don't recognize their role in the overall success. So that was a big reason why I wrote A Cure for the Common Company. So if there's anyone listening today who's a team leader or somehow influences people in the workplace in any capacity, there is a prescription to help you know how to proceed forward that will help the people around you, which in turn will help your own health and well-being. Goodness. And that's everybody, right? Like you don't have to formally it's have a team much. to have an impact on others. Yeah. Oh, pretty much because people can lead by influence. And as a result, they are impacting the health and well-being of people that are not in the you know traditional organizational structure. Well, and the piece that's oh sticking goodness. out to me is is that you just mentioned, you know, organizations kind of health and wellness programs, right? That are not connected to the manager relationship at all. It's probably a a series of things that are completely external um, to the company. And we've actually talked about that on this podcast before, you know, different kinds of activities that you can have as part of your health and wellness um, focus. But, but we, it's just not, it's not really discussed in terms of um, people's influence on each other, leaders influence on, right. on, you know, staff. And it's, it, it's like, I don't want to say it's checking the box because for a lot of companies, it's their, their will is there. Like it's more than just, you know, they want to do yeah. good. Yeah. Right. But they see it as an external service. They don't see it as an internal capacity. Right. Yeah. You cannot outsource this completely. You know, you might be able to outsource like a, a platform or some of the mm -hmm. resources, but really if you're outsourcing the majority of the work and thinking that you're done, you're, you've got a problem. Now, Maddie, I am like encouraged that over the last four years or so, 
it's becoming less of a let's just check the box. I think employers yeah. are are genuinely realizing we have to do this right because we're having a problem retaining and attracting talent. And we know that our workforce is suffering. So unfortunately, it may have taken a, taken a pandemic to propel us um, forward, but I do think we're moving in the right direction. I was actually going to ask you that. Like, I, you know, we've seen a huge shift towards these kinds of topics. Just the fact that we're, you know, talking about these things um, quite a lot. But I'm assuming in your work and your research, you've seen that even more, right? Well, I mean, we can all, I mean, anybody who's close to this space or in the space is recognizing it from conversations and it's actually playing out. But what's also happening now is we're starting to see some, uh, in some areas, like maybe flexibility in workplaces or work hours is starting to revert back. So we, we aren't really sure where the resting place is, is going to end, right? Uh, and it is a, a real balance for teams to figure some pieces of well-being out and whole organizations. Um, you know, it, it's fundamental for any team or organization to have a healthy and well workforce in order to succeed. And in order for a healthy and, and well workforce uh, to stay in business, they have to be thinking about the, the their final goal. Yeah. What do you see? organizations that are doing it well, um, how are they approaching it? Because I'm, I'm trying to think uh, more of the debates or conversations that I've heard recently have been, for example, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the, the conversations around does a person own it or does a whole organization own it and who leads it? Yeah. And in my mind, I always think, well, I think it's kind of both because you have to have everybody bought in. But if somebody's really accountable, looking at the KPIs, really thinking about that every day, it really propels everybody else more. It gives them the resources that they need to all show up the way they need to. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about this well-being. And I think also, I think what's fascinating to me, even around mental health, is that, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually sitting in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I've been living here for a while. Um, I lived most of my formative years in the United States, hence the accent. And I'm originally from Serbia. Um, so <laughs> I've lived on three different continents where you know, discussions of mental health, I would see are at different levels of maturity, um, not only individually, but also what organizations are doing about it. So I'm so interested in maybe in some, like if I'm guessing that somebody who's on this podcast, and I know it's going to be a lot of people that are, that are listening are individuals who are interested, whether it's individually, whether it's somebody that can make a difference more at the organizational level and are looking for some examples, maybe not the ideal ones, maybe not the, we figured out the rainbows and unicorns and everything's, you know, quote unquote, perfect, but organizations that are making some good strides, like what are some of your recommendations for what are some of the first things that you can do? What could you be thinking? I mean, I, I, you can tell I have so yeah. many questions. I'll let you start well, to answer in that. You're giving me you a lot to unpack. So I, I knew that you were in Argentina. I did not know that you were born in Serbia. So um, I, um, well, well, first, I agree with you that DNI sits in two places, someone in the central location to be helping the organization at large understand the value, the strategy, the skills, and each person within the organization to understand the concepts and then practice the necessary forms. Now, inclusivity is part of well-being. So mm -hmm. uh, there, there's definitely a connection there. 
The same holds true for your employee health and well-being strategy. You know, if you're large enough to employ an expert, then do it. You don't want to hire like someone who's not trained. You, you wouldn't hire someone to to run a forklift if they didn't have a license to do it, right? You'd probably have an accident. But yeah. even when you hire someone, a health promotion professional, to lead your employee health and well-being strategy, they need to help train the the leaders of the organization so that they can inter- so that they can learn and build the skill set needed to integrate well-being into their leadership style. Otherwise, you're really not going to be able to help the day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute influences that we have on each other's well-being. Um, you asked for an example. I, I'll just say, um, I'll, I'll use Accenture. I actually, um, they're, they're featured in the introduction of the book, along with you know dozens of other companies as examples. But I featured them in the intro because there's a couple of great examples about their managers are integrating well-being into their leadership style, including that conversation in team meetings, being an example, giving permission for the people on their team to engage in the, their well-being needs throughout the day. That is, that is, I think, is the big difference between now and 10 years ago. Many companies are realizing, hey, we have to do more than programs and benefits. This is much mm-hmm. deeper than that. So how do you deal with resistance from leaders who think this is, or I mean, I'm assuming there are still some out there, right? But yeah. people who think, well, you know, this all sounds well and good, but it's not my job to, you know, make sure that my people are are healthy and not stressed out. This is a stressful job. You got to step yeah. it up. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, there's always going to be people like that. And it kind of depends on which part of the employee health and well-being strategy you're looking at. If you're looking to roll out something new, uh, then I would recommend that your listeners uh, look up the diffusion of innovation model. Uh, It's a way of organizational change. And there's specifically uh, a category of, 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 let's call them a leader, because I'm saying let's kind of call them that, because if they're really a leader, they wouldn't deny that they're part of the solution, but they would be in the laggard category of not wanting to participate in this. And then there's some strategies and how to deal with that through that diffusion model. But generally speaking, Maddie, I would look at this in two ways, both voluntary uh, participation and both mandatory participation. So, you know, we're not going to micromanage our leaders. That's just ineffective and not likely to work well. But if there's an outlier, someone who has a very poor retention uh, rate, you can probably figure that out by looking at the data and then make a decision. We're either going to give this person special training or they need to move on to another organization. So we have to give some leeway to allow our managers to express how they lead with well-being because part of the manager's well-being is not being micromanaged. So there's some voluntary pieces here. The mandatory part is that I do think organizations need to include some mandatory training, specifically when people are promoted into a management leadership position or when they're hired into one from outside. And the second mandatory piece of well-being, I believe, should be part of an annual strategic objective. And this isn't mandatory like everyone's got to, you know, eat more apples. 
No, it's mandatory. Like everyone needs to contribute to our well-being strategy. And, and here's how. No. Now, we do both of these things at Johns Hopkins Medicine. We have both voluntary and mandatory ways that our leaders get involved. Some of it's mandatory training, some of it's voluntary training, and some of it is mandatory inclusion of well-being goals through the course of the year. By the way, is, is an apple a day still true? <laughs> Oh, I would recommend it. If you like apples, eat apples. Today I have blueberries, strawberries, a banana, and uh, I'm about to have a clementine. Had to drop that in. As yeah. I, love, I love it. I've started to have a fruit salad every morning. I figured that's the best way for me to get all of my vitamins in because I get so caught up during you the day what? and I'll that, think that you know, awesome. at night, I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, that's you true. gotta find what works for you, like in well-being, that's, like in all in all the different yeah, aspects. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. And you know what? That let me just stick with that. You have to find what works for you, and that goes yeah. during the workday as well. And and that just is another reason why we can't rely on benefits and programs because what works for us might also be how our relationship is with our coworkers and our manager, for example. Or what type of leave policy is there if someone in my family is sick? And so we have to show great flexibility and recognize that well-being is a very broad and very deep topic that requires all of us to learn more about it. So coming back to the training um, for a second, I think we actually talk a lot and care a lot about training because I think one of the issues with management in general is that there's historically you, you know, work your way up the ladder, right? But that doesn't mean that you're a good manager. Correct. Uh, just because you're, you know, you have deep expertise in your specific area doesn't mean that you know how to work with people and right. specifically manage and um, influence and inspire and, you know, whatever the, the ad adjectives are that really make a good leader in your specific organization. So I do think training is really, really critical. Um, but are there specific aspects of training that you talk about, like related to this, you know, to wellness and, and health? Yeah, there's a whole set of, of leadership skills that, that are needed um, to succeed. And there's too many to list here today, Maddie. Some of it's really about being a good leader and learning the basic management skills. I mentioned previously, not micromanaging, mm -hmm. giving employees flexibility, giving them uh, authority to make more decisions, uh, showing appreciation and valuing contribution. Mm -hmm. These aren't just about like the business outcomes. These truly impact the individual's well-being. So there's all these management skills. There's also self-care. Every manager needs to recognize that <laughs> if they are not in a good place, they are inadvertently going to be negatively impacting the people on their team. There is such a thing as emotional contagion. I hate to give all your listeners a whole bunch of homework, but I already gave them one thing to look up, the diffusion of homework innovation. Good, I think. The second homework <laughs> piece is to check out uh, emotional contagion, because if our managers are stressed or sad or angry, which is worse, they, that will negatively impact the people around them, including those they lead. So Maddie, one, <sighs> just one more piece on the training. <clears throat> I'm so big on this and there's such a gap that not only did I write a book, but there's also a 
training program at creatingawellbeingculture.com because I, I just, you know, I'm nearing the end of my career and there's just, I don't have enough years to wait for, you know, MBA programs to catch up. We, yeah. we need <clears throat> this help now. So I have to jump in with yet another apple metaphor, <laughs> but it's, it's the bad Good. apple, right? The bad apple spoils the basket or whatever the end of that tradition yeah. is. The Jackson <laughs> 5, one bad apple can't spoil the whole wild world, or is that was it something like that? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole emotional contagion thing. That, yeah. is, that is literally, I, I'm just laughing at how there's another apple related thing yes. to yes. that. Yep. But, but I think that's true. So is there a gap in, in how the leadership skills that you mentioned, is there a gap in how companies um, understand those as being tied to, to wellness and, uh, you know, employee health? Because yeah. it feels yeah. right now like those two are completely different things to most oh, companies, yeah. right? Yeah, I have a... a I'll give you a homework assignment, Maddie. <laughs> so you start asking your start asking your podcast guests: Does does their company offer training to their managers on how to lead with well being? Mm -hmm. uh, I bet you most of them are going to say no. Mm -hmm. Now we have five training programs at Johns Hopkins Medicine. I, I would say that that's different than most organizations, but not all organizations. Um, and I think that um, the, the enlightened organizations are starting to recognize that everyone has a role and we need to prepare leaders to, to be part of the solution. So I would think, and Sonia, sorry, I'll let you <laughs> ask a question or two also. But I, I would think that Johns Hopkins being a hospital and a whole health system um, is a particularly stressful environment, right, mm -hmm. doctors? Like it's not... Yeah. It's not the most mellow kind of. No. So, so in that sense, um, I'm assuming that there's a very strong awareness of the link between just general work stress and the ability yeah. to you know uh, do your work well, right, and work with patients and blah blah blah, whatever. Right. Um, but do you? I'm I'm thinking you don't necessarily need to have that super obvious, very high stress environment to still need this, right? No, everyone benefits from leaders who are, are trained. Remember, you know, it can be stressful to be bored, right? When we're not challenged enough at <laughs> work, that's, that's stressful. That's what stresses me yeah. out if I'm bored. I hate being bored. Yeah, so I, I don't wanna put all of the responsibility on team leaders. It's also um, a matter of creating systems which lower stress levels. I mean, the, the, the concept uh, of, building a well-being culture on your team and your organization goes well beyond leaders. And when all those um, pieces are in place for a well-being culture, it does lower the stress. And individuals need help. We're fortunate. We have a full-time certified mindfulness instructor on our team. Mm -hmm. And that person is helping uh, our workforce build mindfulness skills so that we can better cope with the day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute stress that comes by working in healthcare. Yeah, Sonia brought in a, a yoga practitioner to do <laughs> which I love for, for her mm. profession pro. Um, yeah, 
We experimented with some things. I I think what was interesting that you were saying, and Maddie, you were asking about the healthcare system. I, I think it, it probably varies because one, I haven't done rigorous research on this. It's more anecdotal conversations because anyone that's Anyone that will ever listen to me or talk with me in the recent years, I talk a lot about well-being and, and mental well-being. Um, and one thing that I found, again, anecdotally, because I, as a researcher, I want to be careful to make you know some gross stereotypes or generalizations, is that there are some of the more traditional professions like medicine, like law, um, where schedules historically were very rigorous, where the demand on people... I think by, you know, the standards that we're talking about between the three of us, at least, were not natural, you know, going hours without sleep, different, you know, days on call, always putting patients first. And, and Rich, you mentioned self-care and nobody can see me because we're in a podcast, but my eyes teared up because as I had a son a little bit later in life and as somebody who was a new mom, I felt like I had to give it my all and relearning how to self-care was a really big task as a parent. I think translating that into the workplace is also huge. And I see friends who are in some of these more traditional fields where the demands have been so huge. And I have to say again, anecdotally, I haven't seen nearly as much progress as I would have liked, nearly as much removal of stress, nearly as much concern for capacity to get things done, which I think is one, oftentimes one of the root causes of our well-being, whether physical, spiritual, mental suffering, is because there are too many demands that our organization puts on us that have been historically there and just not removed. And again, I, I, I will keep saying that it's, I don't want to make a stereotype or gross generalization. It's just from anecdotal conversations with my friends, but they really struck me because I thought, especially in an area like medicine, um, that we know so much that a law would have changed. And it just, I think you you know, you were mentioning job hop, John Hopkins and the great things that you're doing there. So clearly it's not the same everywhere, but I would hope that maybe if or when we talk, you know, again, a year from now, that maybe we can talk about some of these big changes that have happened, that really more organizations shook status quo. Um, and more of the ones that are like really intelligent that you would think like you have a ton of really smart people working for you. Like you need to figure this out by now. Yeah. I, I, well, first, I hope we do speak within a year. Um, second, I, I am seeing some encouraging signs, especially about return to work moms. I'm seeing mm -hmm. um, like Cisco Systems, for example, there was an employee there who went back to work as a new mom. She felt so comfortable in that culture that she was able to step forward and say, hey, I want to create an employee resource group focused around moms that. coming back to work. And there's even companies that have popped up. One of them is Mama Va, M-A-M-A-V-A. -A -A. I'm not a consultant for them or anything like that. There's these <laughs> breastfeeding pods so that moms who come back to work can have a place where they can have some privacy if they're planning to continue breastfeeding their child. So I'm seeing some encouraging signs, although I have to agree with you, it's never fast enough, uh, mm. in my opinion. Um, but I think that you sharing stories like that, I think is 
going to be a great way to encourage other companies because I think oftentimes maybe organizations that are not as focused on it, they think others aren't as well. And they think, well, we don't really need to change this. It's kind of a, it's a cool futuristic thing to think about um, where, you know, some of the things that you're describing, I've seen that, like I've seen the, whether it's breastfeeding pots or lactation or, or different ways for organizations to think about, we have different individuals with different needs. How do we most effectively show up for them? Um, and also doing a better job at asking. I think there's still a huge opportunity there, but I really found that when, when individuals brainstorm and come up with a lot of ideas, it's great, but there's no better way to know how you can help an individual or group of people than actually having that conversation and asking them, what are your challenges? What could we do differently? Yeah. Yeah. And in order to, <laughs> part of getting them to answer is to creating a trusting environment. Mm -hmm. So, and part mm -hmm. of creating a trusting That's environment right. is having good listening skills and also being vulnerable mm -hmm. yourself. So, you know, this is such a deep and broad yeah. conversation. And again, I'm gonna, most managers have no idea how deep and how broad. Mm -hmm. And that is why I wrote the book so that managers stand a chance of succeeding, not only in their role, but also succeeding in helping the people they work with. Yeah. Oh, and thank so, you for that. Thank you. And as, as we uh, come up on time, can you give our listeners just, you know, what could they do to get started? Is there one thing, um, you know, as a first step, either as a manager or just as a, you know, person working? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to give one of each as a manager, just put well-being on your team agenda as a standing item. And that way, whenever you have a team meeting, whether it's once a month or once a week, you know, oh, I need to figure out what is it that we're going to discuss this week at our team meeting, or are we going to do a well-being actually something? And you will get in the habit. It will become part of the fabric of your team. That's one that. thing you can do. Is to, and one thing you can do for yourself uh, is to take a breath. So most of us are moving too quickly and thinking too many thoughts that not only does it get us stressed, but it doesn't allow us to just kind of settle the mind. And, and you know, we're at a disadvantage when we're stressed because mm -hmm. uh, we literally can't think clearly. So take a breath. It may seem silly at first because we're breathing all the time, but if you don't know what I mean about take a breath, then maybe check out some mindfulness uh, exercises or some yoga. If it doesn't click with you at first, find a different instructor. Um, sometimes you like your teachers and sometimes you don't. I love that. I love that. I think that's perfect and such a good reminder. So, so yes. Thank my you. Only last, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, my only last uh, reminder to everyone is the name of the book is A Cure for the Common Company. Perfect. And we will, of course, have the link in the podcast description for everybody. But yes, thank you so much for, for joining us on this podcast. Um, Sonia, any last thoughts? Oh, so many. So I will keep them. <laughs> I will keep them now. But no, just I thank you so much. I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. It always has been. I'm glad that you're talking about it now and that you're really, you know, through the book and through everything that you're bringing that information to as many companies as possible, because as businesses, we need it. As individuals, we need it. Um, so thank you so much for, for doing the incredible work that you do. 
Well, thank you for having me today. And I, I hope to see you in a year. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> In addition to being the Empowering Workplaces host, I'm also the president of Question Pro Workforce, and I wanted to tell you a bit more about it because it so brilliantly aligns with our concept of empowerment. At Question Pro Workforce, we help organizations across the world better connect with their employees. We do this through continuous listening survey technology, as well as sharing our deep knowledge and expertise to help our clients know what questions to ask to most deeply connect with their workforce and take impactful action on data and insights they collect. Learn how Question Pro Workforce can be a great partner on your path to creating a really outstanding employee listening strategy and a remarkable organizational culture at questionpro.com backslash workforce.